Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the program, we are going to talk about that Michigan Supreme Court ruling four to three to allow the anti-gerrymandering ballot proposal to go forward. That is a big deal here in the state of Michigan, as Michiganders will now get to decide how we draw the lines for our political jurisdictions, as opposed to letting politicians do that. We are going to talk with John Lindstrom of Gongwer News Service uh, and Bridget McCormick, who is one of the justices of the Michigan Supreme Court, about that decision. Uh, And we want to hear from you about what you are thinking about gerrymandering as we go into the fall election season. Is this something you are going to vote for uh, and try to change the way we select our politicians here in the state? Or do you think that it works just fine right now uh, and that uh, we ought not alter the Constitution to change that? So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. It'll get started at about 45 after the hour. But up first, this week, the National Association of Black Journalists hosts its annual conference. And this year it is in Detroit for the first time in 26 years. Thousands of black journalists are coming to the city, many of whom will see it for the first time and attend conference sessions, workshops, and events, all in the spirit of strengthening and empowering black reporters, writers, editors, and producers. It's fitting that NABJ is coming to Detroit, not only because of our sizable black population, but also because of the tremendous legacy of black journalists who have chronicled black life in and around Detroit for decades. That's where we want to start the program today, talking about the NABJ conference, talking about diversity in media, talking about the importance of diverse media voices. Uh, And joining us for that conversation is Nicole Childers. She is the executive producer of Marketplace Morning Report, which you hear at 10 to the hour every hour here on WDET during morning edition. She is in town for the NABJ conference. Nicole, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Welcome to Detroit as well, I should say. Uh, Also with us in studio is Jerome Vaughn. He is the news director here at WDET, and he will be attending many of the events at the NABJ conference. Jerome, welcome to the studio. Always good to be with you. Yes. And joining us also in studio is Candace Fortman. She is the marketing and engagement manager here at WDET, although I always call her the social media manager here, <laughs> which gets her, every it gets her going every time. In this show and the importance of getting black folks' titles right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I like to tease Candace uh, about her title because it, it seems to change every couple of months. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's indeed true. That's indeed true. All right. Uh, I want to start with uh, you, Nicole, and, and obviously – Welcome you you to Detroit, but I, I would love for you to talk with our listeners just a little about who you are, uh, where you're from, the work that you do there at Marketplace Morning Report, which is something that all of our listeners are, are pretty familiar with. Absolutely. So I'll first say that I've been a journalist for around two decades now. I started out my career at ABC News in New York working with Diane Sawyer and Peter Jennings and then was recruited Uh, to be a senior producer, then ultimately executive producer at uh, National Public Radio, working specifically on News and Notes, which was a show geared towards a lot of what we're probably going to be talking about today, geared towards covering the African-American experience. Mm -hmm. And I've been at Marketplace Morning Report now for close to five years. And so what we do at Marketplace Morning Report is that every morning we uh, put out six uh, casts 
um, that cover business news. Our goal is to raise the economic intelligence of all Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, through that cast, uh, we our first cast comes out of London every morning. It's a, a co-production with the BBC where we're covering international business stories, and the other five casts are. Um, helmed by folks that your listeners are probably familiar for <laughs> right. if they're listening in the morning, uh, David Brancaccio <laughs> out of New York. And and talk about uh, one of the cool things about morning uh, marketplace morning report is the let's do the numbers music that gets played. <laughs> I think a lot of people are familiar with that stormy weather for down markets. We're in the money for up markets and. Ain't got that swing for a mixed bag. That that sounds like, you know, it's one of the sort of fun aspects, I think, of, of the program. It is, and it's something that people get really excited about, and I think it creates some tension in the middle of the show because people are wondering what's going on with the markets. <laughs> and the way that it works behind the scenes is uh, our host, David Brancaccio, as he's on the air and leading our listeners through the cast, he's, he has a screen right in front of him where he sees all of the live markets. Okay. So when he gets to that part... He gives a cue as as you hear the numbers music, you know, as you hear us going into that segment, he'll <laughs> let the director, our director in Los Angeles, know, okay, down markets. Right. So they know they, they know what to play when he gets to that point. Right. So Right. That's a pretty I mean, that's a pretty precarious uh, set of uh, process, I guess, that it could it could end up being wrong at some points, but I've never heard it miss the mark. Uh, let's talk uh, a little about um NABJ, which is what brings you to the city uh, this week. First of all, we talked before the show. This is your first trip to Detroit, uh, which it is, is which is very cool. I love I love how uh, the city sort of uh, impresses itself on people who have not been here before. We can we can talk a little about that <laughs> a little later. But but let's talk about NABJ and the importance of it and why why you are here this week for this conference. What's what is it that draws you to this conference? Um, and I think, you know, I've been attending NABJ since I was in college, and the importance of it for me has changed throughout throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was a place to, um, you know, a lot of it is job hunting and, and networking and being able to connect. I think it's, that was especially important when I was with a more mainstream organization mm-hmm. like ABC News. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of how do I connect with other journalists of color since there were very few in the newsroom. Yeah, uh, I think throughout my career as I've as I've built a strong network, a networking system and now that I have a level of experience for me. NABJ is now about connecting with colleagues that I've made over the years, but it's also about mentorship. Yeah. Um, anytime I can, I try to be on a panel so that I can pass along the knowledge that I've that I've you know kind of gained throughout the years mm-hmm. to the next generation. I also try to carve out time. I'm at the at the NPR, the Public Media Village, uh, talking to young journalists and you know giving them advice and guidance and feedback on their resume, uh, feedback on their work if they're on air. Yeah. And so I think it's an important way for me to stay connected to my community, stay connected to my fellow journalists of color, and also at this point in my career, really to give back and yeah. be a resource for people. Uh, you, you mentioned that in, earlier in your career at places like ABC, there weren't a lot of other journalists uh, of color. Do you do you feel like that's different now uh, in, in terms of where you are? I think it's definitely different. I can speak specifically to Marketplace Morning Report. We are we are sure. a mainstream show, and when you look at the leadership uh, at Marketplace Morning Report, I think we're 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 an anomaly. Um, our senior leadership is comprised almost of all women. Is that right? When you look at the when you look at the leaders of our daily shows, both of us are women of color. Hmm. Um, so I think that we're we recently 
had a roundtable discussion about women in marketplace, and one of our junior staff members um, mentioned that uh, it it has been so powerful for her to be at a place like MMR, like marketplace, sure. um, you know, and seeing the number of women and people of color, and that when she talks to her when she talks to her friends, they have a completely different experience, and she's you know she tries to explain to them the power of you know, the power of that experience. And then in some ways she's, you know, she expressed being like, I don't understand what they're going through and right. how can they not have that? And, you know, it's just like completely different, yeah. but it was, it just, it meant so much to hear that, you know, that someone at the beginning of their career is having that experience because it's so vastly different from, right. from what I experienced. And, right. it, you know, so I think that's a real testament to, um, you know, Deborah Clark, uh, who is our SVP and GM mm-hmm. of, of, of making it a, making it a priority that, there's diversity in the in the newsroom, yeah. at, even at the higher levels. Yeah, uh, if if you could, if listeners could be here in the studio, they would see Candace and Jerome nodding uh, very enthusiastically yes. as, <laughs> as, as Nicole yes. describes uh, these these experiences. And I think that's because uh, as as uh, African Americans working in the news business, the experiences are pretty common, right? Uh, it, we all sort of run into these same barriers and challenges, and then hopefully. At some point, get a chance to to sort of overcome and 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 be in a space where uh, where things seem a little more a little more equal. Absolutely, I think Nicole, you talked on a uh, touched on a really important part about leadership because we we do spend a lot of time talking about the newsroom culture, but not as much time talking about um, leaders of color in the news business. And that for me is a whole other thing, right? Yeah. So as someone who's in the management level, who is a woman of color. That is often the space where I feel the least mentored in my own career, especially if you get to that middle part of your career, um, and really taking a look around uh, around me and trying to find women who are in equal positions or positions higher than me that I could reach out to to have conversations about growth and, 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 and advice. Yeah. Um, and finding it really difficult, especially in the Detroit market, to find a peer um, who's sharing that experience because the experience is different as a woman of color. Um, and so I think that NABJ allows you that opportunity to have conversations with people who are going through similar challenges in their own spaces across the country and not just on the coast because oftentimes also we're having conversations about coastal news and not about what happens in the middle um, in newsrooms um, that are directly impacting communities every day, often communities that look like the people who are, are managing those newsrooms. Yeah, yeah. Jerome? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think uh, as I'm hearing about um, what's going to be going on in, in ABJ, one of the things I'm looking forward to is is talking to folks about their um, experiences. And as Nicole said, finding a way to give back, to give to this next generation of journalists who are coming in. Um, I'm going to be doing some work with some of the students who are going to be there. And we know over the years, those students are the ones who rise into um, those journalist jobs, those reporter, those producer jobs, and then down the road become the leaders of the industry. And if you can equip them early on with what they need to succeed, um, that that's a very good thing. Because there are a lot of booby traps and pitfalls that that we have experienced, I could show you the scars, yeah, right. um, as as everyone in this room could. But if you can let the next generation know, watch out for this ahead of time. Hopefully, yeah. they don't get snared in that same trap. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you know, to your point, Candace, 
it's still a struggle for me sometimes, you know, in, in finding mentors that can help me navigate being a leader right. and being a woman, a woman of color. I'm also a member of the LGBT community so that, you know, the way that I present myself is also something that, you know, I consider, you know, politically. And uh, it's something that I've struggled with throughout my career. How do I find mentors who understand what it is to be a woman of color because you can read books i read i regularly <laughs> read books I, I love going to leadership trainings yes. i take online courses but if these courses and if these are experiences are are being taught or i'm learning from whether it's white men or white women i i'm, I'm not walking into the newsroom as a white man i'm right. not walking into the newsroom as a white woman right and so how do you navigate, learn how to navigate those sorts of things? And I think that continues to be a challenge. I, I'll, I'll just throw in, because I like to read a lot of those those books, too. And, you know, you, you have to realize that you have to you have to skew those books. You can't go in and try the same things. You don't have the same experiences. But if you try something that was written by, you know, uh, white male X, it's not going to work for you necessarily because... Um, you're just a different person walking into the, the yeah. situation. Ha- have things gotten better in uh, sort of general terms in terms of uh, the, this, this kind of climate in, in newsrooms over, over our careers? Uh, I, I have to say that, you know, I started, I started my journalism career in the early 90s, uh, right here in Detroit, in fact, uh, as an intern. And I, I felt I felt like at that point there was more focus on the idea of diversity and expanding diversity than I see now. And I think there are a number of reasons for that, uh, the, the, the chief among them being the, the incredible contraction uh, that the industry has has suffered. And you know, there's just not, not as much money around for yeah. things as there used to be. I guess I worry a little bit that um, you know, in order to in order to achieve diverse workplaces, you have to affirmatively decide that you're going to do that. And it's it felt as though there were a lot of programs in place to do that in the early '90s that are gone today. Yeah. So I think I was just talking to um, a journalist that lives here, Martina Guzman, about this yesterday. And one of the things we discussed is that um, I think, Stephen, in place of those programs, we've decided to appoint the people of color who are in news spaces to then be those recruiters. So that becomes an extra job on top of your job because true (laughs) recruitment is a job, right? right? And so all the time. Exactly. And so you're, you're sort of preying on the idea that all people of color are living under that idea to whom much is given, much is required, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to do the extra work to get folks in the building because, you know, reach up, you know, behind you, right? But that is extra work and it is hard work because oftentimes it requires mentoring because a, a lot of times for the, the the especially younger journalists that I'm meeting who want to get into the industry, they're coming in with a certain amount of student loan debt. Um, many of them have already gone on to graduate school. And so they can't afford to come into newsrooms where maybe they might make a little bit less. Mm -hmm. So they have to find newsrooms that fit their budgets. And that becomes a whole other thing. The financial um, burden of the education requires to get into these spaces, right? And so if you're coming in with a with that burden, that makes it that much harder. And then you're re- then you don't even have the programming around you, the programs you're talking about sure. to really nurture you through that process. Yeah. Yeah. I say all the time that I got my first job, my first permanent job, not an internship in the business at a newspaper in Lexington, Kentucky. It was owned by Knight Ritter. Uh, there was a hiring freeze because there was a recession uh, at that point. Uh, there was a program that allowed the paper 
to go around that hiring freeze to hire me because I was a person of color and that there were not a whole lot of them working at that newspaper. In fact, I was uh, the first uh, person of color to be a member of the editorial board ever uh, at that at that newspaper. And I, f- I feel like that opportunity, of course, was really key to, to, to my career. But I think right now that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen at that newspaper. It wouldn't happen at most places. I, I, I'll, I'll just chime in. I, I think, you know, part of that is, and we know it is not true, but a few years ago, you know, this idea of President Obama being in and we're in a post-racial society and while, you know, folks like you and others have debunked that, I think there was still a feeling of some truth behind that. Mm-hmm. And so that got pulled back. As you said, money for those programs got eliminated because it was determined, well, yeah, we're doing all right now. We don't need to keep that going. We've started, you know, on the road. We don't need to keep going down that road. And we've seen um, numbers in newsrooms start to drop uh, because there's not that concerted effort there to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about diversity in the newsroom, diversity in media, how important it is to have diverse voices in American media, and we'll continue talking about the NABJ National Conference taking place right here in Detroit this week. Also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out. You can go to iTunes or whether you wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Nicole Childers. She is an executive producer for the Marketplace Morning Report, which you hear at 10 to the hour every hour here on WDET during Morning Edition. Uh, Also in the studio is Jerome Vaughn, who's the news director here at WDET, and Candace Fortman, who is the marketing and engagement manager for WDET. We are talking about the National Association of Black Journalists Annual Conference, which is right here in Detroit this year for the first time in 26 years. Thousands of Black journalists are descending on Detroit right now to take part in workshops and events and all kinds of discussions about diversity in media, the importance of diversity in media. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think about our local media, how diverse it is, how accurately it reflects our community, or maybe how inaccurately it reflects our community here in Southeast Michigan. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we will try to work you into uh, the conversation. Uh, Nicole, I want to I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about some of the the headlines I guess that we see about black journalists uh, that uh, that sort of dominate the the political cycle a little bit. April Ryan, who is a, a White House correspondent, <clears throat> made headlines uh, when the president called her out and thought uh, maybe she should get in touch with the, the Congressional Black Caucus to help him get a meeting. Uh, Jamel Hill. 
uh, from ESPN, one of the journalists who's going to be honored this year at a NABJ, uh, also attracted the president's attention. Um, uh, is this a is this a different era, I guess, for uh, for responsibility uh, in terms of being black journalists, in terms of uh, being singled out or having to stand up to to defend the idea of uh, of your point of view, right? That that you don't come from the same place or the same perspective. As everyone else, and maybe that's a, a little surprising to to some folks. And I think, to, to be honest, when I when I think about both of those instances and in conversations that I had with friends outside of the industry, I, I think both were were examples where people of color, just in general, were able to relate to that. Sure, you know that as especially when you're when you're one of the one of the few representations um, of a community in an in a mostly all white space, you mm-hmm. become. The representative, yeah. you become the. Well, go tell me how do how do your people feel about this? As if, as if the African American <laughs> community is monolithic, right? You know right. the the assumption that April Ryan could just pick up her phone and set that up for him. Um, you must you know, know those. You folks, must right? know them. You must, and you must be well, able to. You all to, go to the same church, clearly. <laughs> right, right. And so I think that that's something that's that's uh, very common in the African American experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think that 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 given some of the tensions we're seeing with the Trump administration and, and people of color and, and the rhetoric, uh, which is very incendiary when it comes to race. Um, I think that that's why it's, it's, it's much more high profile. But again, I think as, as, a, as a person of color and also as a journalist, it's something that I experience. Yeah. You know, the assumption that, hey, well, what, how are African-Americans thinking about that? <laughs> right, right. Which African-Americans? Me as an African-American? Um, so right. I think that that's something that we, that we all experience. You couldn't possibly be an individual. You must be uh, a spokesperson for the group. Exactly. Right? Well, we yeah. do have the group meetings every Thursday, guys. <laughs> right. Let's not act like we don't call don't it to the conference to, call. I don't think you're supposed oh, to talk we're not about, supposed that, to talk about that, yet. <laughs> I've missed a couple. But <laughs> I've <right>. noticed. <laughs> right. yeah. But does that make it difficult, uh, Jerome, for people of color to, to exist in newsrooms or high-profile newsroom positions? Does it, does it sort of pull you in, in different directions than maybe you want to go? It's different. It's it's a different um, it's a different challenge that others don't have to deal with. It's a, another burden that folks don't have to deal with who are not people of color, mm-hmm. um, because you have to find a way uh, politically to say that's not the case. And if you're not at the top of the heap, mm-hmm. you can't just go, well, that's dumb, <laughs> you know? What are you, you talking you about? You can't right? respond that way. You have to think about, all right, how can I respond? How can I use this as a teaching moment without offending, uh, without causing a situation where there's going to be retribution for me for speaking out about how things are actually and it's, it's not always that easy because, as we know, often when you are correcting, even gently suggesting, uh, feathers can get ruffled. Sure. And that can cause, um, that can cause problems. Yeah. So. Uh, talk a little about your career here uh, at WDET and uh, in Detroit. You're a native Detroiter like I am. In fact, uh, most people probably don't know, but we are— graduates of the same high school. Uh, you're a little older than I am, but... Uh, I'm a lot older <laughs> than you are. Um, um, but talk about how you have navigated these issues uh, in, in your career to get to the space where you are now. Well, you know, I'll, I'll start with 
you know, I come from a family of teachers, so education was always very important. That was always the most important thing for um, my my family mm -hmm. growing up. And so for me, that's where I've, I've, you know, put my attention, you know, throughout school and the college. And um, getting out of college you know, the world was very different. I mean, throughout school, I was often the only person of color in this or that or the other. Our, our high school was an all-male mm -hmm. high school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after a while, you, you, you learned to deal with that, that you, you, your skin got a little thicker because you knew you were going to be the representative. And I, yeah, I think that my, my mom especially had an understanding of that, and so she'd want me to look look my best and uh dress my best and i disappoint her now all the time because i don't <laughs> iron my pajamas um but but there was definitely that instilled in me and you know i, I could go on for hours about all of the you know the episodes with police or with sure. um folks in college that were really very negative but you have to have in your mind I'm going to go through, I'm going to make this work, I'm going to succeed. Went out to San Francisco for a few years mm -hmm. uh, after college and very clearly lost a job because of my race. Really? Had an interview, it was an administrative job, had an interview, uh, the person was v who had interviewed me was very high on me, uh, the manager came out, took one look at me, didn't get the job. Wow. Didn't open my mouth. Wow. So you, you you deal with that. You find a way to get past the anger. You get past a way to sort of feeling that deep injustice. And you you figure out how to go on to the next thing. Yeah. For, for me, got in as an intern here in grad school and uh, ran with it, baby. Yeah. Ran with it. <laughs> All the way to the news director's job, mm. right? Uh, Candace, of, of course, there are still lots of efforts to move things in a different direction and and make sure that there are diverse uh, voices in in newsrooms, and especially in this particular newsroom, uh, you're involved with something new that yes. we're that we're trying. Yeah. So fortunately, um, because we do have a diverse staff <laughs> um, who is always thinking about ways to create. Um, space and room for people to come into this newsroom. We just launched um, a project that we are calling Storymakers. And as a part of Storymakers, uh, we have launched the Feet into Worlds um, Fellowship, which is a Feet into Worlds is a program that's run out of the new school in New York. And uh, we are lucky to team up with them um, on a project they have been doing for years um, to have three fellows come into our newsroom over the next three, uh, over the, the rest of this year um, and write about food in food culture in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And they can write about anything. It can be investigative pieces. It can be culture pieces. Um, but we really are looking for um, media makers of color and immigrants. 
And so um, they will work directly with Jerome in our newsroom and with the good people from Feet and Two Worlds. The application is open now. If you go to WDET.org, you'll see the application there. It, it, the applications close on August 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really excited about what this will do to our newsroom because what we know is that it's not just about what those fellows will get out of it, but what the folks who work in our newsroom will learn from those people who are coming into the newsroom who come from very different backgrounds, right? right? right. Um, than what they might come from or from similar backgrounds and now they have someone to relate to. Um, And so that project um, will really allow us to to delve into also into communities that right now we just don't have access to because we might not have people in our newsroom who can get into those communities in the same way. Um, And so I I think it's like it's one of those things where each thing sort of gives more to the other thing, but also story makers, which will... um, launch in a, a more official way later will allow for people to pitch us stories right. and pitch us stories about anything culture and arts related um, and hopefully end up on our airwaves. Yeah. And that is our intention to diversify the voices that you hear on WDET because as a public radio station, we take diversity very seriously, especially in a city that looks like Detroit. Yeah, uh, the, the, I mean, that's uh, an example of trying to incorporate I guess what we'd call citizen journalism sure. into the journalism that we do here, but we're also seeing these these really, I think, exciting iterations of citizen journalism outside of traditional newsrooms that Absolutely. come up and really are taking on the role of reflecting that diverse voice uh, and saying, "Well, I don't need the I don't need the radio station or the newspaper right. or the television station in my town to do it." I can do it all on on my own. Yeah, I, I would argue that in Detroit, Riverwise Magazine is a really beautiful example of that. Mm-hmm. They're doing some beautiful um, storytelling, but more than that, they're doing really deep community engagement mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with the folks that live in the communities that they represent. Um, so there are really great examples of that. Sarah um, Alvarez with Outlier Media, who of course is a journalist, but is doing true community reporting. So community reporting that she is texting stories that relate to a certain zip code. Um, folks are finding ways to sort of move around an industry who was that has often left them out, and even when it let them in, didn't really nurture them yeah. in a way that allowed them to grow. Um, and so I think that we're finding some great examples. You know, we're working with City Bureau out of Chicago um, and their newsroom, their um, public newsrooms, and teaching people how to document public meetings. So there's some really great examples, both in Detroit and nationwide, of folks who are working really hard. Um, within this system to give voice to folks. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think that's really an important thing that is going on. And the reason is, as you were saying earlier, newsrooms around the country are shrinking. And so there are fewer reporters out in the community to learn about what's going on and to tell those stories. If citizen journalists can find and illuminate some of those stories, often they get picked up by larger media and spread wider. So there's a cumulative effect there that's really a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, does that give you hope, this idea of people outside of newsrooms taking on more responsibility to reflect those diverse voices? Or is that a is that a sign that we're not doing enough uh, inside the newsrooms to make sure that, that that happens? Is it is it good competition or threatening competition? I think both can be true. Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> I think, uh, no, um, I think, listen, I, I think with technology, technology has advanced um, quite a bit within the past 10 or 20 years, which makes it very easy for just about anyone to create and uh, disseminate content mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. You look at 
the preponderance of blogs and now podcasts. And it's, you know, with a, for a couple hundred dollars, right. you can create right. content. You, you can know, be a and, I th- and I think what I think, but, but I think that because so many are taking that route is, is because newsrooms haven't done all that they could do to right. attract talent. Um, I think also that so many have been successful in that space and have showed that there's an audience um, for diverse voices has put a lot of pressure back onto the newsrooms to mm-hmm. say, hey, are you going to step up? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, newsrooms have, have used that to identify talent, which I think is a positive thing. Um, so I think it's I think it's you know, I think it's good and bad. Um, I, you know, as a hardcore journalist, sometimes <laughs> I'm a little concerned about the level of reporting, you know, when people kind of sure. are doing it on, on on their own. And I think sometimes it's a challenge um, in recruitment. I'll be honest with you. It's a challenge in recruitment um, because. Um, you know, if you're recruiting somebody who has lived in that world, who has who has lived without, you know, stringent standards, ethical right. standards, it's it's hard because what you're saying is that in order to get this larger audience, you, there are certain things that you're going to need to give up. Yeah. You know, there are certain ways that you're going to have to. But I think it's good. I think it's good to have that level of diversity because, you know, you I think it's great to have people out there doing their own thing. And it, again, it does come with flexibility. Yes. You know, they're choosing their stories. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. in a newsroom, you know, it's it's more of a process. You get, assigned, of, you right? get assigned. So I, 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 I worry a little about that because I consider myself sort of an old school newsroom uh, soul and, and believe that, you know, you got to chase fire engines for a little bit and learn how to do that. You got to cover school board meetings and county commissions and things like that before you start really speaking with authority about things. And maybe uh, sometimes we see people getting the cart before the horse uh, that way if they sort of grow up outside that that infrastructure. Uh, but I don't know that there's a way to stop it given the democratization of publishing uh, that, that the digital world uh, has, has given us. Uh, last question to, to all three of you. Um, what are the things in the next five or 10 years, and hopefully it's not 26 years again before NABJ mm-hmm. is here in, in Detroit, but what are the things that, that we need to sort of look to as uh, you know, solutions to this diversity issue that, that, that you know, we've been talking about for 50 years, really? I mean, the Kerner Commission in 1968 comes out and says nationally that there are not enough people of color in newsrooms to reflect the accurate stories that are in uh, that are unfolding in America's cities. Fifty years later, you can probably say, um, I mean, not it's not exactly the same, but you could say many of the same things. What are the things that we need to do to to not keep having the same conversation into the future, Candace? I'll start with you. I knew you were going to start with me. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Well, you're the social media manager. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) So, one, get people's titles right. But two, (laughs) no, but two, and and really importantly, I say this, I go to a lot of conferences, and I say this at every conference I go to when this question comes up um, about diversity and sort of the room turns at me, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes I might be one of two or three people of color in the room. (laughs) Um, And my answer has been the same for the last two years, hire people of color. Yeah, it's that simple. Right. It truly is. And this idea that there aren't there aren't enough talented people. And if they aren't applying, then that means there's something in your culture that is keeping them from applying and you need to fix it. You need to find out what is happening inside of your culture that is keeping people of color from applying and go after it aggressively and make the changes that are necessary. 
Um, and also look at your leadership. And if your leadership does not reflect the people that you want in your newsroom, that also will be a problem for access. Yeah, yeah. Great, great answer. Uh, Nicole? I think it's first and foremost talking about what diversity means. I say to my staff really regularly, because I think the default is diversity. And as you experienced, if somebody says diversity in a room, <laughs> you look at the black people person. are looking at me. <laughs> um, and I'm always saying to my team, listen, diversity doesn't just mean race. It means everything from sexuality, age, uh, geographic diversity, socioeconomic diversity. So I think we need to expand our definitions of diversity. And I think part of that is that when we talk about, you know, again, racial diversity in a newsroom, it means making sure that you're not getting all the Ivy League blacks. Right, right. You know, you're getting people from all over the country having different experiences because that's what's going to make. I mean, we have a responsibility, especially in public radio. Mm -hmm. We have a responsibility to serve our audience and to make that first and foremost. And so how do you do that? You have to know what your audience is out there experiencing. And so I think a lot of newsrooms need to pay attention to that. You know, they need to pay attention to what are you doing to reach out into your community? You know, at Marketplace, one of the initiatives that we have coming up that I hope I'm not going to get in trouble by mentioning early (laughs) is that we're going to do Marketplace hubs. So working with Hmm. local stations and getting more reporting from local stations to to really reflect that experience. And then the second thing that I think is incredibly important is mentoring. My first, you know, huge mentor in the industry when I was at ABC News was Carol Simpson, who was one of the well, yeah. who was the first African American graduate of the University of Michigan. Exactly, yeah. first African American female uh, to anchor a nightly news broadcast. And on my first day, I was incredibly nervous because I was like, "There's Carol Simpson. Oh my God, she's a legend. Oh my God, oh my God. How do I how do I say something to her? What do I say? Oh my God, oh my God." She came up to me and introduced herself and said, "When when can we do dinner?" And wow. I'm thinking, "Wow, yeah. this is Carol Simpson asking me when." Um, and she has been a, a steady, just a consistent force in my career. And I remember the first time she did something to help me out, and she told me very, she was very honest with me. Now, she was probably she was the most powerful black woman at ABC News. Sure. And the first time we did dinner, she's like, I can teach you. She's like, I have I could probably get you fired if you really just messed up. <laughs> but I don't have the power to promote you and to make sure that you grow here in wow. the way that you deserve to grow. She's like, but what I can do is I can teach you everything that I know. And I remember the first time she did that and she, you know, she stepped in and she helped guide me. And I said, well, how can I repay you? Yeah. And she wow. said, do this for someone else. And that's the legacy that I try to continue is that I try to give back. And when and when my mentees say, what can I do to help? I said, helps. I, I, I always help say the same else. thing. So yeah. I think that that's that's probably the most important thing is the mentorship. Yeah. Jerome? Um, I, I think keep beating the drum so that people um, at the top of the food chain understand that diversity improves the journalism uh, diversity improves the bottom line because you've got more people interested in what you're doing. Um, find a way to get more uh, diverse candidates into the newsroom and eventually into those top leadership positions. And and to get people to understand that the demographics of the country are changing. Mm-hmm. And so what worked in 1952 is not going to work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's take a quick call before we end here. Jay in Westland, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, hi. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, hey. Oh, good day, Steve, and uh-huh. uh, your guests in the studio. Oh, I'm originally from, from West Africa, and uh, I have uh, a plea to uh, the black uh, American journalists. Please, uh, racial issues 
spanned all the continents, mm-hmm. especially against black people. Mm-hmm. I can give you an example that one soccer star was a highly paid player in the world, but his name is Eto Fields. Each time he scores a goal in the Italian league, there was a monkey chant. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, please, black journalists, try to focus a little bit on issues happening beyond the United States, mm. on racial issues. I can tell you, I am a blogger. What is happening in some countries in Africa is not highlighted by the black media. Right. Right. There's a lot of rape by European countries on Africans right now. I can give you an example. In West Africa, in Cameroon, a dictator has been in power for 36 years, sure. protecting the interests of France. He has been killing. I can tell you, it's more than Rwanda. I have treated black journalists. I have treated newsrooms. I have done everything for just one journalist to highlight this thing to the global and, media. And you can't just get anywhere. The global media is European-American yeah. concentration. Yeah. Uh, Jay, I, I really appreciate uh, the sentiment that you're, you're getting across there. And, of course, that, that's another yeah. dimension of this. Go ahead, Nicole. No, and I think it's a, I think it's a big issue. One of the reasons why, in you know, Marketplace Morning Report, we do everything through an economic lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, a year ago, actually, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. A big part of the reason why we changed our first cast uh, to a, a co-production with the BBC is so that we could expand our lens of coverage. Um, you know, utilizing the resources of the BBC. So yeah. now in that cast, when we are covering um, international news, and you look at, you know, just the size of uh, the African economy and some of the changes that are that are that are being um, that are in process there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. those are important stories to tell. And more times than not, you know, when you when you look, whether it's across the country or across the globe, a lot of the issues that we're dealing, you know, yes, there are some issues that are very unique to a region, but there are also certain experiences that are common. you know that are common and yeah. that are you know that are universal. So I think the more that we can spend time doing that, I think also because I started out my career at ABC at World News Tonight, you know, working with a journalist like Peter Jennings, where I was taught my first experience for the first six years as a journalist, it was look outside of yourself, right. what's happening right. around the look world. Around the world. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, but as your caller said, there more attention needs to be paid, you know, to the di- to the diaspora. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's I think that's a that's important, but it also requires resources. Yeah. You need money. To, you need the money to be able to, to the most to, expensive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nicole Childers, executive producer for Marketplace Morning Report. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit today. Thank you. Also, Jerome Vaughn, news director here at WDET. Always great to see you. And Candace Fortman, Marketing and Engagement Manager here at WDET. Always great to have you in the studio. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Up next, late last night, the Michigan Supreme Court ruled 4-3 to three to allow Michiganders to decide the future of gerrymandering here in the state of Michigan. We're going to find out what that means and what you're going to be voting on. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today.